The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Place we were in the midst of New Year's 2023, the Great Snowvid Storm. It's good to see you all here today. <laughs> um, Let's pray. Father God, as we open your word to us today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in ways that are both uh, comforting and yet fresh. And Lord, that they would give us a sense of rest in you, in the peace that we enjoy, in the salvation that we have, fully by your grace, to the joy of your glorious praise. God, speak to us through these words today. Let the Spirit run about this place and fill us with your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as I was kind of looking over my notes a little bit and and, uh, preparing, I found myself reading prior to the text at hand this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. But as I was looking through Ephesians 1, it just sets the stage so beautifully for what we're going to be looking at in chapter 2. Because we find in in the verses of chapter 1 that we are predestined, we have been chosen, we have been adopted for those great gifts that we're going to be benefiting from when we get to chapter 2. And I want us to keep that context in mind. I I even thought about reading the entirety of the chapter, but I I know what happens when we read too long of a text and all of a sudden somewhere around verse 6 or 7 we're going, what? (laughs) So I encourage you to read that, but just know the context here. We have been adopted as children of God, destined for his wrath, but yet in his great love he has chosen us to be his people. And in chapter 2, we're going to be seeing the means of that great gift, that salvation. But we also see in chapter 1, verses 6, 12, and 14 in particular, why God does all this. To the praise of his glorious grace. Repeats it two more times. To the praise of his glory. Let let that sit for a minute. To the praise of his glory is saying that all that he does on our behalf glorifies him all the more. Oh, it's for our great good. No question. Absolutely for our great good. But in his gifting us with his grace and this great good, he lifts himself up in glory. Glorifies his name all the more amongst the peoples. Let the peoples be glad. As we sang earlier. But as we we start moving to the actual text... 
the gospel and grace in particular can be hard for us as, as people to, to really grasp. And I believe that a big reason for that is we simply are just in, in our state, in our human state, we want to get what we deserve and we want to earn it. We want to earn it. Had a Bible teacher say in college, because somebody was talking about the lack of fairness that they perceived in the world in general. And he said, so what I'm hearing you say is you think life ought to be fair. Yeah. So you're saying life ought to be fair and we ought to be getting what we deserve. Yeah. You can never forget the next words that came out of Professor Anderson's mouth. You want fair. You want what you deserve. My friend, welcome to hell. Because that's what we deserve. That's the best we can earn. That's it. We can't, through all of our striving, all of our trying to be good, all of our good intentions, we can't do anything to save our souls from hell and from separation from God for eternity. There is nothing we can do to prevent that in all of our strivings, in all of our good intentions. And in believing the, the law of the, 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 the Lord, which is, which is so beautiful, so important. And if we could, if we could, that's a big if, because we can't. If we could obey every letter Dot and tittle of the law of the Lord, it still would not be enough. That is how the sin nature has so permeated the hearts of men. So we need to move away from this idea that we somehow can earn and deserve any part of our salvation. Any part of what God gives us in his grace and his mercy and out of his love. Thank God, that is not the good news of the gospel. That we can somehow earn that favor, that is not the good news of the gospel. We have been provided with the law of God, and much of the Old Testament deals with that. But you know what much of the Old Testament really tells us? We can't get it. We're not good enough. The people of Israel were never good enough. The individuals of the people of Israel, none of them was good. Moses was not good enough. He got to see the land from afar. David, man after God's own heart. Boy, he wasn't good enough. He made a hot mess out of a lot of things. And yet God, still in his grace, called him out as a man after his own heart. That's a picture. That's a picture of what in the church we're about to realize of how God shows his great love for us. So it's a time of, of, of creation. It's been the nature of our relationship with God since the fall brought about distortion in that relationship, which fostered the belief that we could somehow be good enough, that we could somehow earn our way back into favor with God, that was the great lie of Genesis 3. 
Was it not? God said, do anything you want. This is all yours. I gave you all of this, but for the one tree, the fruit of the one tree. Don't touch that. Oop. No, he didn't say don't touch that. He said don't eat that. Somebody else added the don't touch part. Everything else is yours. My free gift to you. Here we go. We'll just have to have something go to, you know, show the fact that, yeah, I shake. (laughs) (laughs) But in Genesis 3, we see this, this beautiful relationship that God had created in his relationship with Adam and Eve, with the human race, the, the created order, the way things were supposed to be, changed, changed forever. Because the lie there was that if they took on this knowledge of good and evil, the fruit that they were forbidden by God to take of, if they would just partake of that fruit and have the knowledge of good and evil, they could better their relationship with God. No, no, they could be as God. So keep striving, keep working, keep trying. You'll get there. And in the leaving of the Garden of Eden, in the gates being closed, that minute, that minute, brought about the need for something far greater than anything we can do. And that brings us to our text. Read with me Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then we'll be, uh, Pastor Steve makes observations, I make points, just how I learned it. Um, But there'll, there'll be three. Beginning with verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now listen, listen hard here. This is glorious. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First point, Christian, 
You were dead in sin, now in life, alive in Christ to show Christ. Christian, you were dead in sin, now alive in Christ to show Christ. So the first part of this text just tells us flat out, before God's grace, before Christ's work on the cross, before the resurrection, before God applying that to your life, my life, we were dead without hope, dead in our trespasses and sins, children of wrath. Wrath is, you know, like I talked about hell a little bit ago. We don't talk about hell a whole lot. It's uncomfortable. It's hot enough in here today. We don't talk about wrath either. Because it's uncomfortable. But before God's right grace, that is exactly who and what we were. Children of wrath. God makes it very clear here. My wrath is all you can earn. My wrath is all you can learn. Anything else, you're incapable. But, but, that's not all there is. But without God, without his rich and wonderful grace... We're just going to be following the course of this world. We have, sitting in this room, many who this is, this is just, this is a reminder of what an incredible gift we live in. Of what it means to be adopted as children of God. To have our sins paid completely and utterly on the cross and then having that applied to us by God's rich grace. This is a reminder, and it should give us pause to just <laughs> praise him to his glorious grace. Amen? Those of us, we have varied testimonies. One thing they all have in common, what we're talking about here, those testimonies of how we came to know God, God's work, God's work. Not ours. And every one of them are glorious. I, and, and I want to take a minute here. This is just a little bit off track, but I want to take a minute here. Because some things that I experienced, especially in, in my younger, younger walk with Christ, my testimony, like some of you in this room, I know, uh, very similar. I, had, I was born into God's grace by being born into a Christian family. My folks loved the Lord. And they took us to church, sometimes when we didn't want to. But they took us to church and faithfully. And I grew up in that. And I cannot tell you the day, time, or place where I went before God and said, God, I'm a sinner and I can't do this on my own. But I know you did. That's my testimony. I was five or six years old. That, that I know. Because I was baptized at six, and it, and it was real. That's my testimony. Okay. That, that's an amazing, amazing blessing of God's grace, freely given. 
Others of you spend a little more time. I spent time in my trespasses and sins too. I was just too dumb to realize that I didn't have to anymore. You know, we, we, we have to grow up in our faith as well. Some of you, God took you on a different path. And that's an incredible testimony as well. Because they all come down to the very same thing. God chose you, God adopted you, God saved you. That is the testimony of a Christian. And our natural state post-fall, our natural state is to just wallow in crud. Just to wallow in it. That's what we want to do. God in his grace was not done with his creation, in particular, his creation of humanity. The Bible says, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, in the beginning God created, and specifically God created man, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. That's a remarkable statement in and of itself. And had the fall not taken place, that just would have continued. And, and we'd probably have a, a lot easier time grasping, what, what does that mean in the image of God? We'll kind of get to that a little bit more in point three. That was how we were created. God in his grace is bringing us back to that created order. Who we are in God at creation. Salvation is nothing short of recreation. God said, this is not the way this story is going to end. This is not the way it's going to end. To the praise of his glorious grace, God had a plan all along. And it took Abraham trying to figure out what this whole faith thing was, and then God gave it to him. Same thing with Sarah, and God gave it to her. And they bring about the, the seeds of the nation of Israel. And for the next 3,000 years, they're wandering around trying to figure it out. But God had a plan all along. It was already figured out. At 3,000 years, wandering around in the wilderness in various forms, not all of it after the Exodus, I know, 40 years. But that was just God saying to his people, I'm not done. If I was, you would be done. God didn't close the gates of Eden just to cast man out and say, no, that one didn't work. He kept gifting his people. He kept loving his people in ways that ultimately bring about our good and God's glory. And then almost as a parenthetical inserts before we get to the, the, real, uh, the real crux of this passage, it just says, for by grace you have been saved. 
In the midst of this wallowing in your trespasses and sin, in the midst of this walking, the walking dead, just slips in there to the, the text. For by grace you have been saved. Bringing us to the great gift of God to be restoring us to our originally created state. We were created in the image of God through Adam and Eve. And we are fallen in our nature through Adam, through Eve. But put into place this glorious message of salvation. It's amazing. Recreated in Christ. This is a great work that Jesus speaks of with with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, you must be born again. Nicodemus' response, I, I really don't think, was probably too dissimilar to what any of our responses would be in that situation. What are you talking about? Be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? God is revealing his truth in incremental ways. Nicodemus, you can't fully understand this right now, but you will. You will. When the full truth of by God's grace you are saved will come to fruit in your life. You don't understand it today, but you will. But I can tell you this right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that none should perish but have everlasting life. That's when this story really kicks in. Which takes us to the second point. Grace through faith. God's greatest gifts. (laughs) The words in verse 8. This is the gospel. Friends, Christians, this is the gospel. In one glorious verse. This is what happened to make things right after the fall. This is what's happening to bring us back into a relationship that we can spend eternity in the presence of God. And by any other definition, that's heaven. We can add to it, we can embellish it what we want. But that right there, eternity in the presence of God, that's heaven. And that's what we have in verse 8. Read it again with me, please. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Reading these words, can can you grasp the enormity of the tragedy of actually earning our salvation by doing good works, by doing anything? Oh, the boasting! Sometimes we fall into that anyhow. Fancy term for that is self-righteousness. Or in the the words of Garrison Keillor years ago, Prairie Home Companion. Some of you are old enough to remember that. The church outside the uh, edge of town who were conspicuous in their piety. That's not the Christian. That's not the Christian life. Talk more about that in a minute. But what the Christian life is this. We are saved by grace, not by anything we can do. And here's the kicker. 
Because sometimes, even those of us pretty, pretty orthodox in our theology and all that kind of stuff, go, yeah, God saves us by grace when we first believe. Do you see in verse 8 what it says? The very faith that brings us to the grace that saves us is a gift from God. That is a remarkable truth. It takes the striving completely out of our element. We can't even believe without God giving us that. And this is a piece of to God's glorious grace in verse 9. Lest anyone should boast. Because if we could add anything to the salvation that God gives us as his great gift, would we boast? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would. And God just takes that off the table. So you are cleansed, you are saved. You are made righteous. You are seated with Christ. And the grammar there is really important. Because it is, it's, Greek does some weird things. You're seated. You're staying sat. And you're being seated. So it's kind of got it all wrapped up in there. It's a lot like the, the coming of the kingdom of God. You know, we talked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God is not yet. This being seated with Christ is a lot like that. In this, in this world, man, we still struggle, right? We still struggle. And that struggle is going to continue until, until we're in heaven. The kingdom of God utterly and completely completed, seated with Christ in his glory. Freed from the, the struggles of, of remaining sin, besetting sin. See, the sin hasn't been taken away from us yet. And I believe that the sin, especially those besetting sins, those that just grind away at us and defeat us. There's two things going on there. One's a negative, one's a positive. The negative... Obviously, if Satan can discourage us away from the grace of God through faith, we ourselves may still be saved because that gift has been given and once given it is never taken away. That's several other passages we're not going to get to this morning. Never, never taken away. But if he can defeat us through just continually hounding us, for the Christian, Satan just tempt us to, doesn't just tempt us to, to watch us sin and watch us fail. He wants to discourage us to a point where we think, I'm of, I'm of no use to anybody, certainly not to God. And the other negative is it takes away the, tes the, the, the testimony of salvation by grace through faith. Oh, how Satan loves to see God's people stumble and to have non-believers go, ah, yeah, told you. They're no different than the rest of us. 
but positive in conquering those besetting sins, in conquering remaining sin. I just want to take another little aside on this one. God gives us his grace all over again. Christian, you are not that. You are my child. I have saved you by my grace. That's not you anymore. And here, I can deliver you from that. I can't find this in scripture, but I, I believe it because I've seen it in my own life at least two times. When we're struggling under that, that temptation and the trials of remaining sin, especially those besetting sins, and what I mean by that is that's the one that just keeps coming back. And you pray, God, take it away from me, and it just keeps coming back, keep coming back. Christian, I encourage you to pray this prayer. God, in your grace, in your mercy, make this sin, this particular sin, utterly repugnant to me. That is another, not a, not a saving gift of grace like you know, the initial, but that is a part of God's gift of grace. To when he can deliver us from that sin... Does that mean that the temptation's gone? And No. But when a particular sin can become utterly repugnant to us, that temptation loses its teeth. And when it, when it comes and it's just got its little toothless gnawing, pray again, God, keep this repugnant to me. I believe he does that. And it is, it is a good gift. And I also believe that some remaining and besetting sins just get left in place because they got, it's going to remind us that without God's grace, we're not it. It's not happening without God's grace. Because if God were to remove his grace, which he will not, once he has given that gift, it's there. He does not take it back. You can't add you couldn't do anything to earn it. And the flip side of this, that is you can't do anything to get rid of it. You are saved. And that besetting sin reminds us, I, I, I went to, to graduate school with a, a Messianic Jew, and he still wore the yarmulke. And I don't know if this is what all Messianic Jews would say to this question, but, but we asked him one day, you know, why, why do you wear the yarmulke? What's, what's a yarmulke mean? And he basically kind of said what I just said. So I, I don't know about this for everybody, but for me, it's handed down from, I believe it was his grandfather. It represents the hand of God saying, you're not that big, little man. Oh, what a great reminder that even once we're saved and enjoying the fullness and the richness of God's grace, we still can't do it on our own. It's a constant revisiting of that grace and the faith to believe it. And God just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out until he takes us home. <sighs> to the praise of his glorious grace. <sighs> and 
And the further revelation of what it really means to be saved by grace, uh, that's when we're going to come before the throne of God. And I don't understand all of how this is going to work and stuff, but whatever crowns, whatever other, you know, baubles that we're given because of various things that we have done, what does the Bible say we're going to be doing with those? We're going to put them at the feet of God. Because they were never our works to begin with. They were God's works right from the start. And in that great ultimate act of worship, we're going to be putting all of those treasures and we're going to be putting them right where they came from at the very feet of God. Again, <laughs> that's heaven. Which takes us to our third point. And I don't want this to be anticlimactic because it's, it's an incredible truth as well. But it's just, after what we read in, in, in verse 8, everything else just kind of goes, Whew. But verse, verse 10 is important. My ear just isn't shaped right for this thing. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> The third point is this. Grace through faith for, for good works. And the order matters. Grace through faith for good works. And the order matters. So we read again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is part of the, the whole package. This is a result of the recreation that takes place when God saves us by his grace through faith, which is his gift, then to do something. Then to do the good works, which he has preordained for us to do. Clear back in the beginning of, before creation. That's where that predetermination thing is. That's, that's God from the beginning. This was my plan. This was my plan for you. And having been saved by grace through faith as a gift of God, now, now, there's some things I have you to do. I've got some things planned out for you. That's where the good works come. Can, can non-Christian people do good things? Sure. Sure. What's the big difference? Those good things, those good works, they don't point to God. They don't point to God. They point to who? They'll point to me. They'll point to my organization. But they don't point to God. And that's the point. When we do good works, it's not to save us. It's not to make us even better. It's not even to save our community or our neighbors. Those are all good side benefits, absolutely. But when we do good works, what we're doing is we are shining the incredible gift of grace, salvation by grace 
through faith, gifts of God to the world for the purpose of the praise of his glorious grace. We are freed to do good works. We're not carrying the burden of, I have to do this in order to get this. We're freed to do the good works to the glory of God because now our salvation, our lives are not dependent on it. We've given our lives that we might have life. And again, Paul repeated it three times, so I'm going to keep repeating it. To the praise of his glorious grace. Workmanship created in Christ. That's why we were brought into Christ, bought by his blood, redeemed from our sin, to be able to receive God's free gift after nothing that we did, so we can't boast, to receive God's free gift of grace through faith, then to do the good works that he predestined for us to do. Right from the start. Christian, relish this. This is a great truth. And if you're here today and and you haven't experienced that, maybe this is God giving you that gift. Maybe here today, hearing these words, God's words, are saying, Believe this. This is my grace to you. This is my salvation. Talk to somebody. Um, Stephen is our praying elder. Be over here after the service. Um, Come talk with one of us. Pray with us. Just remember it will all be to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray. Father God. This truth, this good news, this gospel that you have given us, it's too great to fathom on our own. And it is, yet it is not too great for you to lavish on us as your children. God, I pray that we take this gift We do the works that you have predestined for us to do in creation through Christ Jesus. We do these things to bring glory to your name and for our great good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.